With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Welcome, everyone. Today, I'm joined by lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about existing home sales, housing inventory, starts, completions, and more. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is great to be here, Sarah. We have a lot to talk about today, so let's jump into existing home sales. Okay, existing home sales, you know, the the trend of uh, existing home sales falling month to month and the year-over-year data is showing bigger and bigger declines. And one thing I try to give people a heads up uh, many months ago was that the year-over-year comps are going to be really challenging because last year at this time, starting in October, uh, purchase application data's volume started to rise, which is very abnormal. Uh, so we had October, November, December going into January where sales were rising again. So we have this uh, odd period of time where last year sales were rising and then we have a big decline. So the year-over-year percentages are going to get worse and worse until we get back to kind of a normal comp period, and that's not anytime soon. Um, also in this report, this is the third straight month that total inventory has fallen. Not too much, but we're down to about 1.22 uh, million. Again, historically, going back to the early uh, 1980s, we are traditionally between two to two and a half million active listings. When you consider the population of the United States of America, on a nominal population basis, inventory is still low. On a adjusted to household basis, inventory is still low. Uh, we never saw the panic selling massive run to the market that people had been talking about all year. New listings data declining since the end of June is problematic because, again, not only does it take inventory off the table, it takes a traditional seller who would be a buyer as well. So that's we're getting hit on both fronts. On the, and we can see that on the purchase application side, where a seller that becomes a buyer doesn't really have so much of a mortgage rate issue if they have a lot of nested equity. Uh, so the, the rates being at you know six to seven percent isn't as big as let's say somebody who's renting and looking to buy a home. But if they're gone, then you get hit on both fronts on the demand side. This is why I stress that new listings data declining since June is not a positive for the U.S. housing market. I think it's really interesting because you don't I, I didn't think when we first started talking about this that like rising interest rates meant that we wouldn't have as much inventory. It makes total sense though, because again, you gotta if you're putting your house on the market, you're looking usually to buy a house. And so as as rates go up, you expect inventory to go down. Well, here's a here's an interesting um aspect. After 2010. Uh, a lot of things changed on the inventory channels. We basically really have 10 years of data, really started from 2012 to show us that inventory levels, inventory channels are working differently. So the last time we had inventory grow in this country was from 2013 to 2014. It was about 200,000 homes that grew. Uh, mortgage rates went up from three and a half to four and a half percent. Purchase application data adjusting to population hit the lowest levels ever back then in 2014. We're kind of right there where uh, trend sales are about a couple hundred thousand under, and purchase application data is basically really back at 2014 levels. 
So that that is how you get inventory to grow in this country. What we've seen is that when it takes days, days on markets growing, accumulates inventory. So you think about it in that light. So the people that list their homes that are taking longer to sell, they stick their homes there. And that's the product that you're buying from. The problem is if new listings data are declining, then it, it, the inventory level is abnormally lower than it should uh, should be. So we saw this happen at the end of June, which for me, it then brings up the topic, do we have a mortgage rate lockdown issue? Something I've never believed before in the past, uh, because it would need three variables to come together to even have the discussion. Mortgage rates go to all-time lows, check. Mortgage rates rise in a year. Not one to one and a half percent like we saw in you know 2013, 14, or 2018. We're talking about two and a half to four and a half percent check that happened. And then it also happens in a, in a year where prices are rising. So you don't actually have the benefits of home prices falling to offset the mortgage rate. All that is here. And for the first time in, in history, we had an authentic test of the mortgage rate lockdown. And I I, I don't like the term mortgage rate lockdown, it's total housing costs because People forget, people live in their homes longer and longer these days. So when they did refinance, their total housing costs had been falling versus their wages anyway, right? Because your wages rise every year. So when you refinance like we did in 2020 and 2021, you have a whole group of households that their total housing costs is so low that selling their house to be homeless is never an option. Selling their house to rent at a higher cost doesn't make sense either, right? So unless you actually need to move, for a job or divorce, or uh, you need a bigger home, something to that nature that you're forced. Here, we saw a clear marketplace call. Guess what? Rates went up, new listings data has declined. It stayed declining the entire time, even when rates fell back down to 5%, which I think uh, the seasonality impact of housing really impacted then. Uh, and we need to see new listings data grow next year, especially in the spring and summer. We can't have year-over-year declines again uh, working from such a low level, uh, the housing market needs to function normal, and functioning normally is new listings data. And now we have it. We have we're almost in Thanksgiving, right? There was no massive inventory sort. Inventory moved from the all-time lows in 2022, with the highest mortgage rate increase ever in recent history, with the biggest affordability hit we've ever taken, and we never saw this mass panic to sell that people talked about for a very long time. Housing is a cost of shelter to your own capacity to own the debt. It's where you live. It's not an investment. So you have to think like a homeowner. Why would a homeowner basically put himself in a, in a worse financial position when they don't need to? Doesn't make sense. Never made sense. Uh, and they don't think of their house as like an investment that, oh, I got to liquefy because, oh, wait, I'm still working. What do I'm doing? Yeah. So would you say you said you never believed in a mortgage rate lockdown? And I know one of the things you want to see is like that that persisted over time. Have it Has it been enough time? And ha- does the data support that this actually is? Well, it, for, for the for the last six months of 2022, yes, that happened. Um, now, for me, the key is 2023, right? So we can say that this is a historical event. Mortgage rates increase so fast that... The human adapted, you know, adapting to such a big increase in your total payment, people just paused right away. So you want to see that if that occurs for the second year, right? So I'm waiting to see confirmation on that. If new listings data is declining again, 
2023 uh, on a year-over-year basis, then yeah, then I have to say for the first time, I, I'll have to agree, we do actually have a mortgage rate lockdown or total housing costs lockdown. And what you want to see is when rates, if rates come back down, let's say toward 5%, you want to see people list their homes more. And if it takes longer to sell, that's fine. That's what we had in, you know, from 2012 to 2019, days on market, 30 days. That's what the Federal Reserve wants. And I think people forget, forget this. When I came up with my savagely unhealthy housing market theme, that was February of 2022, right? A uh, home price acceleration was going crazy in January and February. Bidding wars were increasing. Why? Because inventory hit an, another all-time low. We had to stop this because this was getting really bad. The Federal Reserve just came one month after when I talked about that and just said housing reset. And the housing reset to me, they've even said this before. They want less bidding wars, and they did not like the fact that people were buying homes without a contingency or removing their contingencies. They thought that to be very troubling uh, uh, in the housing sector. If the NAR wants to do something positive, they need to start telling real estate agents that the Federal Reserve looked at that as a horrible outcome, right? So uh, one of the reasons they don't want, they never want to see contingency removals ever again, right? So if the NAR is listening, you need to tell real estate agents that was not a positive thing. That was one of the reasons why the housing reset was even uh, created and why the Federal Reserve wants to see inventory grow. They thought that to be one of the more detrimental things we've seen in the real estate sector uh, over the last uh, 10 years. And they were right. That is not a normal event. Uh, uh, And bringing balance back to the housing market means we have traditional contingencies, stuff like that, where people have choices. That's what you want. That was not a plus for the uh, housing market. I think what's really interesting is we're seeing a lot of lenders and builders and other people really do, you know, uh, buy down programs and and various products that will help people get in like the first year and then maybe it goes up the second year. They're they're helping with things. But I think if you're just uh, someone sitting in your house looking at like, is this a good time to, you know, I, I need to I'm thinking about selling, but then I'll have to buy. I don't know that you know about any of that. All you look around and see is like, you know, kind of the devastation and the headlines. Well, here's here's the thing with with housing. It's really the total cost of housing. So you, it's not just the rate; it's the price point, it's the equity down payment, it's the total cost. Now, for some people, it's not much of an issue. There's still people buying homes. There's still people buying homes at rates above seven percent. But the marginal home buyer was taken out when rates rise. This happens all the time. In 2013 and 14, we saw this. In 2018 and 19, we saw this. But the new listings data means that the equity sellers that actually have, you know, they have, you know, they can put more of a down payment. It's not so much of an issue for them. When they start to leave, you get hit on both fronts, right? So what this does is that we finally, you know, we're, we're you know, I, I never like the housing market when the days on market are a teenager, right? I say that's never a good thing. We're at 21 days. So our kids in college now, right? That's a good thing. Right, so we want our kid. We want our kids to go rent their house, right, or in the, in their 30s, right. So that makes it a boring and balanced market, and I like that because I know, I know the Federal Reserve is liking that as well, right. Uh, the Federal Reserve wants more days on market. They want total inventory to grow. I know they're not happy with total inventory levels where they are now, but the places like Phoenix and Boise and Austin, places like that where inventory is at 2019 levels, they're happy just like me. I said, any part of the US that's at 2019 inventory levels off the savagely unhealthy housing market list. So this is a 
This is a positive moving in toward that direction. And then again, when the Fed sees that, if the Fed really wanted to, they could help the housing market anytime they want, right? But they're choosing not to do this because, you know, they believe we're still not there yet to where they feel comfortable in getting rates back down. Now, the housing market itself went into a recession in June. So now we're seeing the detrimental impacts of job losses across the field, right? So at what point does that change? We get mortgage rates back down to 5%. We saw some stabilization in the data. Uh, it doesn't mean the housing market goes back to its booming phase or anything like that. But stabilization, stopping the bleeding should be everyone's first goal uh, out there and not think about, oh, well, what if rates get back to two and a half or three and a half? No, just get that out of the mindset. Stabilization first. So, you know, that, so we just talked about existing home sales. Yesterday, um, we're recording this on Friday. So on Thursday, we had uh, housing starts. No help from from that end. Housing completion data, man. It's just, it's so sad watching this. Now, uh, you know, we brought this up in March of this year, right? Just staying consistent with uh, my work that when the 10-year yield breaks above 1.94%, uh, the housing market will change. That was a summer of 2020 premise. So we had an accelerated home price growth on everyone's end. Uh, so that makes that level even easier to say, okay, we're this is going to break at this point. So the new home sales was in the new home sale market was at risk in March. June, the recession happened because production levels were about to fall. Housing permits and starts are falling, right? Uh, single family, even uh, multifamily to a degree. Uh, the growth rate can't be there for multifamily construction. Single family starts are falling. So that cycle's over with. But we still have all these backlogs of these homes that are, haven't been built yet. So the goal really is, is how do you get the housing market back? You rent inflation, which is already falling. The growth rate is already falling. There's tons of people out there. All data miners and economists know this, that the rent is already falling. The CPI data lags. Core CPI is held up by shelter inflation, which is rent. So we already know this is going to be the case. But if you get that 928,000 multifamily construction on the, on the supply ticket into the marketplace, that's good for shelter inflation even coming down more. Right. And then at that point, mortgage rates should fall. That'll stabilize the housing market. You'll get true. Uh, the, the attempts to get the housing market out of a recession. The builders would love that because they believe they can sell their homes at 5%. Uh, we saw that big uh, month, month to month sales increase when rates got back down to uh, 5%. So they're gunning and hoping for that. So I'm like, just get the completion data up and going. Right. We know permits are falling. We know starts are going to fall. The cycle's over with. But at least get as much as we can, because I do believe that next year, multifamily construction is going to slow down and the builders are going to stop doing permits for that as well. So whatever we have in the block, don't hope that gets canceled out. Get as enough as it out there to get the growth rate of inflation uh, down, which is uh, primarily driven by rent inflation. You know, I follow a guy on Twitter who uh, is a developer and he does ground up development. And he said that his... Um his unscientific or, you know, anecdotal way of seeing, you know, what's going on in, in the housing market, uh, whether multifamily or single family is how many, how many people are at Home Depot or Lowe's, um, you know, contractors or, or, or maybe the people who do a lot of the really, uh, specific home building work, construction work, how many are there looking, you know, a lot of them have an area for like, oh, I'm looking for work, whatever he says has been packed lately, which from my perspective, you know, and again, it's just in his local area, he's in Houston. Um, but he was like, you know, looks like construction's slowing down. 
it, it was over by March of this year. I know, and I, I it, it was hard trying to convince people that because people just think that's a low historical rate. The builders have a have a code, right? And this is actually part of my uh, economic model in the previous expansion. When monthly supply for new homes is between four point four to six point four months, it's just an okay market. But the builders will build as long as new home sales growing, right? In the previous expansion from like from 1996 to 2003, this monthly supply was very low for the builders. They kept on building because demand was booming. We had the weakest housing recovery ever recorded in history in the past cycle. So we had missed sales in 2013, 14, 15, and we had a supply spike in 2018. Once monthly supply gets over six and a half months, it's over. Right. We saw that happen in 2018, actually. We had one monthly supply spike. It took like, I mean, the builders basically paused for like 30 months at that point, right? Because they are not here to lose money. They are not the March of Dimes. They are here to make money. So they're not going to oversupply a market. So above six and a half months, that was it, right? So the, the strange dynamic now is that, you know, we have 56,000 new homes available for sale. We will get that new home sales report next next uh, week. Uh, like 300,000 of those ho- 300,000 new homes are under construction. 105,000 homes are uh, haven't been started yet, right? If the builders could, they would shut off that 105,000 that hasn't started yet. They wish it didn't exist. Their job is to sell what they can. And once they do, if monthly supply is still above six and a half months, they're not going to, permits aren't going up. Right. And that's how it's always worked. Right. You just have to find your own model based on where you think the builder's behavior was. This is why I always stress that monthly supply level and every housing starts and new home sales. I've used it for the last 10 years. It's worked. Right. So until you get the monthly supply down, the builders, again, they don't. The existing home sales market is their competition. Right. It's their competitor, not not a friend. So the difference now is that. And, and this is a good, good, good thing for people to follow. New home sales back in the peak of 2005 was 1.4 million. It fell all the way down to the low 200,000s, kind of. We had an 82% crash. Here, we're like 600,000. So mathematically, we cannot have the same volume of decline in sales because we never worked from high levels. So the builders are in a much better position right now. Their balance sheets are better. Their sales levels are, are not abnormally high like they are. So they're just working this out. So they, they're very efficient in selling those homes when they need to. Like they don't want to hold product above th- uh, past three months. So they'll cut prices. They'll do whatever they need to get it, get it out. And then when that's it, that's they're done until rates fall, right? So uh, um, it, it, it looks much different now than what we saw during the housing bubble period where we just saw this huge collapse in demand this massive spike in inventory, but total inventory back in 2007 was 4 million, right? We're at 1.22 million. So the builder's like, hey, we don't have that much competition yet. So we could just grind this out and sell what we done, not build anything new and just wait for rates to fall because they're in the business to make money, right? Not to oversupply a housing market. And you said that the the supply right now is 9.1 months. Is that right? And that's of... Not yeah. So so that's that's the monthly supply for the uh, builders. I think it's 9.2 months. Uh, that's not the existing home sales market, which is that uh, today the report came in, uh, even though the total inventory data declined 
slightly, the monthly supply grew to 3.3 months because the days on market grow, right? Days on market growing is my thing. I want to see that above 30 days. I'm going to throw a party once we get above 30 days, right? Once we get the national inventory back to 2019 levels, oh yeah, savagely a healthy market is gone. We get back to how it used to be. But uh, yeah, the new home sales market is, just think of it as a different planet, right? Uh, than the existing home sales market. Um, for the longest time, uh, the Fred website kept showing monthly supply uh, of the new home sales market, which was always higher. People people thought that was the existing home sales market, and they never knew the difference. Finally, Fred, after some coercing, um, changed it so they won't confuse people anymore uh, out there. So there's a huge gap. 9.2 months versus 3.3 months is historically the biggest ever recorded in recent history. Because these two marketplaces are extremely different with their inventory channels. And you make the point that the uh, existing homes are always cheaper than new homes. So that's that's one of the reasons those are very different metrics. Yeah, on an apple-to-apple basis, it doesn't even come close. I and mean, we have homes that were built in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, right? Compared to all the bells and whistles that a new home sale, a new home uh, built is, you think about the dynamics of construction and all the things that are going into a new home versus something that was built in the 50s and 60s that got re, you know, uh, somebody living there for a long time did their own kind of remodeling. No, new homes, I mean, on an apples-to-apples basis, square footage, bedrooms, everything, it's always going to be more expensive just because it's new and it has things that the more modern lifestyle uh, needs to have, which is more expensive than something that was built in the 60s and 70s. And we still have carpet from when John Travolta was dancing. So <laughs> different different type of marketplace. <laughs> I live in a new home and I can tell you it is nice to have all the bells and whistles. I will say that. Don't want any 1970s uh, carpet hanging around here. You know, let's talk more about purchase application data and what you got out of that. So one thing that we've seen in the last two weeks is that the weekly data is positive. Okay, I'm not a big fan of tracking weekly data. I'm always a year-over-year guy. So the weekly data was two weeks ago, plus one. Last week, plus four. We had a a, a big drop in rates. Um, So people ask, oh, are people coming to buy back? No, not, not in any big fashion. But if you really wanted to see a change, uh, uh, in the demand curve, you need to see the year-over-year data, uh, the decline be start less. And, and it's just the comps are going to be very difficult to do this now. So the week-to-week data needs to see constant uh, uh, increases to change the demand curve. And just remember, we're working from a very low bar now. Literally adjusting to population, it's the lowest levels ever. And this is a trend survey, right? This is not like an exact science one-to-one with uh, numbers of sales, it, it, they trend with the sales data and it looks out 30 to 90 days, right? So that's how you should look at it. So we've had back-to-back positive weeks, but again, you're only doing that from a very low bar. When housing market changes, you'll see these noticeable year-over-year declines become less and eventually go flat. And uh, we're going to have easier comps, of course, next year, especially toward the uh, second half of the year. So you just make some adjustments to that and we'll, we'll see where it was. But we did notice that when rates got to 5%, uh, housing found some stabilization. Of course, the Fed freaked out about that. They're like, no, financial conditions are getting loose. How are we supposed to get our job loss recession if this happens? Everyone go on TV and uh, talk about, we need rates higher. We need more pain. Uh, it's funny, one of, one of the other Fed members came out today, James Bullard, who I think James Bullard just trolls the United States uh, on a weekly basis. He said, maybe the Fed needs to raise rates above 7%. 
you know? Uh, uh, yeah. So, um, no. So I know it, it's, it's, it just sounds weird because the housing market has literally been in a recession and some of the Fed members are like, housing's fine. There's nothing. Yeah, no, that doesn't work that way. So I realize that the Federal Reserve, to a degree, is like trolling some people right now, just talking to the bond market and the stock market. Um, housing went into recession in June. A recession means production, sales, income, jobs lost. That's not happening in the U.S. economy yet. Even with all six of my recession red flags up, right? We're just looking at jobless claims. And here's, a, I, I think this is one, one thing about jobless claims for everyone to remember. When you see these tech layoffs, right? Um, they don't necessarily mean they go into the jobless claims data, right? You have to actually file for unemployment. And a lot of tech workers are college-educated Americans who uh, the unemployment rate is 1.9%. So in a economy that's still growing jobs with near 11 million uh, um, uh, job openings, the unemployment rate for, for very skilled uh, workers is, is very low. So these people tend to get jobs quickly. Remember, some of these people have five, $10,000 mortgages. They don't want to file for unemployment benefits, right? They got to get a job as soon as possible. So uh, that so this is why sometimes when people saw that all these techs are being laid, tech jobs are being laid off, why didn't jobless claims uh, rise tremendously? It went down because it's a process to actually you have to file for it. Then actually, what needs to occur is uh, the people have to like not try to look for a job, right? And a lot of these people get jobs right away as long as the job market is still growing and job openings are high. You have that. A service sector worker doesn't really have that capacity to a degree, so they tend to file for unemployment rates uh, uh, faster. Uh, this is why the unemployment rates for those who never finished high school is always traditionally higher than any other level. So that group tends to file quicker and gets into the data line faster. So it takes times for that to work itself out. But when jobless claims break, it breaks. That's why I always say you have to work out jobless claims. When that thing breaks, there's that means the entire uh, economy has shifted, right? And there, it's harder to get a job right away. Uh, we're not there yet, and this explains the confusion about the jobless claims data this week that fell 2,000, uh, didn't increase even with the tech layoffs. Yeah, you read my mind because, you know, I always ask about the tech workers and I'm like, wait a second, it seems like everybody's laying off. And but to your point, I mean, they may not be applying for unemployment. I mean, unemployment's not going to really help them out at all. Yes. We also have to remember that, you know, the fourth recession red flag was actually, you know, what was the booming sector of the economy? Durable goods spending, retail sales were booming like crazy. So a lot of people hired more people for that massive increase in demand or how I call it as the Peloton effect. So some of the companies are actually just laying off people that they kind of hired just for the pandemic, right? So their their total job levels are are still above what 2019 was. The, the excess worker is being laid off from that. That's, you know, that's why you want to see where was the booming sector of the economy where you have to lay people off. And, and we always have to remember back in 2015 and 16, we had a genuine manufacturing recession in America when oil prices crashed. Um, and we still had job growth uh, every month during that period. So one sector of the economy doesn't really change the whole dynamics. It's the entire general economy goes down. This is why industrial production falls, consumption falls, everything falls together in a recession. That's how you get the layoffs to happen. And, and just to remember, the the labor dynamics are much different now uh, um, than we've had in the past. People, the baby boomers are leaving the workforce. 
Uh, we have less workers uh, than we had pre-COVID, where I think the missing gap is like 4 million now, if you just took that trend. But again, we have an aging society, so the older workers are leaving. They just need to be replaced to stay on par. And then on top of that, if you're still growing, you need more workers. That's that's why we wrote job openings 10 million during the COVID-19 recovery, right? Uh, so we're, we're going to get there, and we got there very quickly. Okay, last question, because we're almost out of time, but how quick will the Fed pivot once the job, I mean, are they going to look for job job claims to, to change for three months, or is it the first month? Like, what is the timeline here? Well, here, to me, it's when the jobless claims data, four-week moving average gets to 323,000 and breaks that, the pivot will talk about, okay, the economy is really weakening. All this talk about the economy is great, everything's fine, labor markets... The pivot is the first terminology change that, oh, okay, we don't have our talking point anymore. When that happens, the bond market's going to get well ahead of that, right? That'll drop mortgage rates lower. If the Federal Reserve says we're supporting uh, the MBS market, mortgage rates could drop 2% at that point, really, in in a short amount of time, just because the bond market, I mean, when when I talk about 2%, I'm talking about we're using 7.375% as the high level and trying to get down to kind of five and a quarter, 5.375. So the bond market will get ahead of that. And then the mortgage spreads could come down. You could see that happen very quickly. Uh, But again, right now they're using the labor market as their cover and they're using the household balance sheets as their cover. And that's why people, when they heard um, Chairman Powell talk, somebody said, oh God, he's using Logan's Motoshami points because they're correct. (laughs) <laughs> they are right. The labor markets are different this time around, and the balance sheets look different because they are different, right? People forget the 2005 bankruptcy laws, reform laws, and the 2010 Q- QN mortgage. They they set the standard of the best household balance sheets we've ever seen in U.S. history, and it's in there in the data. It's just people don't read it, and then people see credit card debt ex- rising, and they think nominal credit card debt has occurred with expansions, right, all the time. That's that's nothing new. Uh, it's the net interest expenses which are happening higher now. That's that's problematic, you know, especially on the low end. But we see the low end credit card uh, expanding higher, not not in the middle or high end yet. Uh, so we're we're not we're not at that phase yet to where credit card debt goes lower. See, when it goes lower, consumption is less. Right there's your recession. Uh, so people are just surprised. Retail sales came beat again. Revisions were uh, 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 negative, but still the. U.S. is spending and they're working, right? So the Fed is using that as your cover right now. When that changes, they'll change. They will fold. Uh, um, uh, They're not there yet. We're not there yet. We still have Black Friday to go. We'll see what happens on on Black Friday next week. Black Friday doesn't mean as much as it used to because of the whole the dynamics of internet uh, shopping and and people wait for the savings that happens after Black Friday. So, uh, uh. You know, e-commerce sales really escalated above trend during COVID. So it's going to get itself back down to normal. Uh, What I've seen already is retailers hired less workers this time around than the last two years, right? So even though retail sales is is forecasted to grow, nobody's expecting like the boom that we saw uh, in 2020 and 2021. So we see the moderation in holiday hirings for temporary workers already. So that's already given us a clue that everyone, they kind of know they have got to discount some stuff. Consumption is fine in, in their eyes, but nothing nothing uh, booming in that sense. So interesting. Okay, we will keep our eyes open. Logan, as always, thanks for joining me. It's a pleasure to be here, Sarah Wheeler. 
<laughs> thank you, Logan Motoshami. If we're going to go for full first and last names, I will just say thank you, Logan Motoshami. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW Plus, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the HousingWire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like HousingWire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to HousingWire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.